Welcome to the OA Light a Meeting podcast. Please visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, David G. I am David. I'm the compulsive overeater. Uh, so incredibly honored and grateful to be here. Um, you know, I remember when I used to listen to these podcasts, I would binge and then purge and then go grocery shopping and then sit in my car in the Trader Joe's parking lot binging um, while listening to these. And I listened to so many of these. Um, I knew everybody's story before I came into OA. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, years later, I can do the same thing for somebody else. And uh, it's such a blessing how this works. And just like Martha said, you know, I have one hand with a sponsee and one hand on my sponsor, and uh, that keeps me from falling. And, uh, you know, I should not be here today. I should not be alive today. Um, I'm a real compulsive overeater, and, you know, I was reading how it works. It says we share what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. And uh, I was just thinking, like, what was it like before I even came? Um, You know, my mom and my dad, uh, my mom was in college, and her dad pulled her out of college and said, you need to marry a doctor. And my mom was in love, and she was engaged to somebody else. And uh, she moved back to New York, and she married a doctor. And uh, she was in this horrid relationship with my father, my mom, an alcoholic, and my dad, an addict. And uh, they never should have been together. And they had my sister, and um, my dad was incredibly abusive. And um, they had me, because maybe I could fix it. You know, maybe I could be the solution. And... uh, you know, even the night before I, I was born, my mom drank and crashed the car. And, uh, you know, the next morning, there's David. Uh, welcome to planet Earth. And uh, ever since then, I've been trying to fix it. You know, I've been trying to fix chaotic situations. Um, and it was really chaotic growing up, and it really didn't make sense. Uh, I grew up on Long Island in Cold Spring Harbor, and uh, it's a town where everything looks perfect. Uh, we had a house on the water. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a therapist. And they used to have these dinner parties. And uh, people from the town would, like, come over to dinner. And uh, everybody knew Dr. G. And everybody knew my mom. And, like, as soon as everybody left, like, a switch would go off. And my dad would just lose it on me and my sister. Um, like, lose his shit on us, and, you know, there was, like, chaos through the house, you know, I always shared the, one of the first memories I have of childhood, my dad was, like, chasing my sister through the house, and uh, he got her against the wall, and he was grabbing her by the chins, calling her a fat effing pig, and I was, like, five, and I, like, jumped on his back, and he threw me up against the wall, and, like, there was my mom across the hallway, like, looking at us, And uh, me, like, screaming for her, like, help us. And she went into her room and closed the door. And um, I remember around that time, like, I I felt something inside of me, which I didn't know at the time, turn off. 
like this, you know, dissociate. Like this isn't going to be my existence. And uh, now I know, like years later, what that actually means growing up in an abusive alcoholic household. But like it was too much for me. I can't feel this right now. Like I'm shutting down, and uh, I'll be here, but I won't really be here. And uh, you know, when I was seven years old, I crawled into bed with my mom, and my dad was like raging through the house, and we locked ourselves into her meditation room. And I said, we got to go. And uh, it finally, like, hit her that I was in pain, too. And she said, I know. And I said, no, we need to leave tonight. And uh, the next morning, we woke up, and, like, off we went, running, escaping from my dad. And, um, you know, I just grew up, like, I would have bruises going to school that I would have to lie about. And, uh, you know, I just never felt a part of. I didn't feel... You know, my first, like, eight years of school, I didn't speak to anyone, and they called me mute boy, and I got tested, you know, because they thought I was, like, mentally challenged. They didn't know what was wrong with me. I'd, I would go to school, I'd have my head down. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Like, my voice was taken from me so quickly. Like, I didn't, I wasn't anybody. Um, you know, and I would spend, like, a lot of my time at my best friend's house, who's still my best friend, and, like, the running joke in their family, they'd say, David, what, what do you want for breakfast? What do you want for lunch? What do you want for dinner? I'll have what Mark's having. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I even deserved to, like, have a choice in what I was eating. Um, and my parents got divorced when I was seven, and uh, we moved across Long Island, and my mom started working a lot. And, uh, you know, I remember she said to me, you're the man of the house now. And I'm the man of the house now. I'm seven years old. I don't talk in school. I'm terrified that my dad is going to, like, come and break a restraining order and, like, kidnap me. And uh, my sister is, like, picking on me relentlessly. Like, there's no way out. What, what do you mean I'm the man of the house? Like, I don't have the tools. I don't have a design for living to be a man of the house. Um, and uh, I would go to school, and I didn't feel a part of, and I would come home. And, uh, you know, my dad used to follow my bus home from school. And that's when it started. I was seven, and my dad followed my bus home from school, and I would run down my driveway and go right into the ice cream. And uh, the food worked. The food did for me what my parents couldn't do for me. The food made me feel okay. The food made me feel safe. And... You know, I didn't know what was wrong with me all these years. Like, once I got into the rooms and started reading the literature, which is, like, just as accessible then as it is now, like, it says in the, you know, AA 12 and 12, like, I have basic instincts, and when they get warped, my greatest natural asset turns into my greatest liability. And this instinct for security, like, to feel okay and loved and protected and you know, have your peanut butter jellies sandwiches made in a bag with a note saying, have a great day at school. Like, that's all I wanted, though. And I didn't get that. Like, tuck me in at night. That's all I wanted, and I didn't get that. But I found it in a different way through the food. And the food became my mom and my dad and my friends and uh, that security that I'd always been looking for. And I became the fat kid in school and, uh, you know... If you're the fat kid, in, it sucks. Being fat in school for one year sucks, but, like, I was fat from um, seven years old until I was 17. Um, you know, I was a fat kid. I got all the names that a fat kid got, you know, 
all the nicknames, all the songs that were sang to me, and I would go to school and I would just get tormented. And I would come home and my sister had a song for me. And my mom was always working and I was scared that my dad was going to come. And like, thank God for the food. What, you know, what, if the food wasn't there, like, I don't know what I would have done. And I was, I already had a warped mind before I picked up the food. I remember being five, you know, standing at my grandfather's balcony thinking about suicide. Already at five, I knew, I, I comprehended like suicide means that my life is going to be over, which means I'm not going to get hurt anymore. And uh, I also knew that suicide meant there's a funeral and people have to come to a funeral. And what really kept me from suicide was I didn't think anyone was going to come to my funeral. Um, I'm an alcoholic as well, and I have a, like that's my ego. Like I'm. I care what people think about me, even when I'm hypothetically dead. Um, so the food did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and um, it was miserable. Like, I, I missed out on childhood. I don't know how to ride a bike. Even now, I don't know how to ride a bike. But, like, I didn't have friends. I never dated the girl growing up. I never, like, I lost out on that childhood. I never played video games. Like, I was too busy trying to fix things, like real things, like life things. Um, I was friends with the teachers because I could relate to, like, the struggle. But, like, I, <laughs> I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know how to connect with people. I didn't know, you know, it says in the literature, you know, we have the total inability to form true partnerships. That was me, like... I never, we, I didn't grow up in a house where you pass a thing and now, now it's your turn to talk about your feelings tonight. Like, we didn't, I didn't have dinner. I didn't have, like, a homemade dinner, really, until my current girlfriend made it for me. Um, like, I just didn't, I didn't live like a normal person. And, uh, you know, so I'm the fat kid growing up, and my sister also suffers from this disease. She's been in and out of the rooms for... 15 years now, and uh, she's a little bit older, and I used to hear her throwing up at night, and, you know, she lost, like, 40 pounds in a summer, and I wanted what she had, and I was, like, young, and I snuck into her room, because I'm a snoop, because if you grow up in an alcoholic household, you're probably a snoop, and uh, you probably look in other people's drawers, and that's what I did, and, you know, I went in her drawers, and I found her diet pills, and uh, I started taking them, and they say this is a progressive illness. You know, the progressive illness isn't just about the food. It's about anything that I put into my body, and it's also about my thoughts. You know, if I have a negative thought, even today, it's a progressive illness. You know, I obsess over the thought, and by the end of the day, I want to kill someone. You know, they hurt, they hurt me a little bit. If I don't treat that thought in the day that I'm in, the, the illness which is my mind, my thinking, get, it progresses and it gets worse. And now I have a huge story. And uh, that's what happened with my dad and me not talking to him for 12 years. You know, I, I got a story and then, you know, my story became my reality. And, uh, you know, I started taking these diet pills. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I had lost 60 pounds. I had transferred to this prep school. And uh, on the outside, I had my shit together. I was a three-sport athlete. I was taking 15 pills of hydroxycut a day, um, and I was a maniac. And I had my first girlfriend, though. And what that taught me was if I look a certain way, you're going to like me. 
And what that also taught me was if I gain 60 pounds, you're not going to talk to me like you're talking to me now. So I had a big F you to everybody, but I liked the attention, so I went to any lengths to make sure that I stayed skinny. And I became a raging bulimic. Um, and this disease, like, it's two sides to the same, you know, token. I could, you know, I could be 500 pounds or I could be 100 pounds. I get it. Like, I'm just going to any lengths to control a situation because I want to fix it. And uh, I became a raging bulimic, and um, I would pass out at sports practice in high school, and, you know, I would pass out during basketball games, and no one knew what was wrong with me. And uh, I ended up going to five colleges in four years, and I don't remember anything um, from those years except for my binging and purging and diet pills. And uh, college is when I found Adderall, so I'm taking 15 diet pills a day mixed with Adderall, mixed with being an alcoholic, mixed with snorting Xanax, and I'm out of my mind. And I'm, like, passing out while I'm driving, and literally I haven't formed a true partnership with anybody yet in my life. I'm 21 years old, and I still haven't made a real connection to anybody on this planet. Because that's what the food does for me. That's what this progressive illness does for me. It takes me out of life. And uh, I ended up hitting a really gnarly bottom in Manhattan. I was going from every Whole Foods, you know, doing the tour day Whole Foods in Manhattan. <laughs> and uh, I would calculate on my phone how many thousands of calories. I'm a list person. And uh, I, like the, I like taking lists. I like keeping, you know, statistics. I know, like... I like keeping it together, so I knew how many thousands of calories I binged every day. And I would go down to my gym, and I would punish myself, and I would work out every day until, you know, the calorie count on the treadmill matched the calorie count on my phone. Um, because i got to fix it, and i got to get rid of it. And if something's in my body, it's no good. i got to lose it. Um, because you have to like me. Because the only time I remember anyone liking me was when I was skinny. So I have to make sure that I don't get fat again. And this is what I'm thinking about all day long. I'm failing out of college. I haven't spoken to my dad in 10 years. And uh, I haven't formed a true partnership. Because I'm just thinking about food and getting rid of it all day long. And I came into OA and um, people would tell me, like, you're going to die. And the most beautiful thing about my first meeting, my first meeting was in Manhattan uh, seven years ago, and um, Diane, the Canadian woman who's in L.A., was there. And uh, she was there in my meeting, and she's, she'll say now, like, I never thought you were going to make it. Like, I came in really on the line of life or death. Like, I shouldn't be here today. And uh, I didn't speak to anyone for two years, but I went to a meeting every day, and I didn't get a sponsor. And uh, I got a lot of relief in those two years. I felt something greater than myself in those two years, but I was not willing to ask for help because all my life, like, I got to do it myself. Um, I'm a do-it-your-own type of guy. And uh, I moved out to L.A., and I, I was still messing around with the food. Um, I knew there was relief here, but I couldn't do it. And finally, um, someone came up to me and said, let me sponsor you. 
and for some reason I was like, okay. And uh, the first week that I started working the steps, I got abstinent. And uh, I haven't binge, purged, eaten flour or sugar in over five years. And uh, it's all a result of what it says and how it works. You know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. It used to be never have we seen a person fail, um, which is what it's really. Never have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions. How it works is how it works. I don't have to work David's program. I don't have to come in here and outthink everybody or quote the big book. I don't have to. It's literally how it works. It's how it works. You know, it says how it works. Why am I coming in here trying to do it my way? My way doesn't work. How it works is how it works. How it works. It literally says how it works. And still, you see people come in and out trying to do it their way, not work the steps, not do the deal, you know, how it works. I got a sponsor, and, and that also, like, nowhere does it say anything about sponsorship in, in, in any literature. In the big book, it doesn't say anything about sponsorship. Um, I am not a higher power as a sponsor. My job as a sponsor is to make myself as invisible as possible so that the person who I'm working with finds a higher power. All my job is is to guide them into a higher power. And, you know, just because I know what I'm saying from a podium does not mean that I'm a good sponsor or does not mean that I'm working this outside, you know. I really have to get clear on that, um, that this program is not about getting to a sponsor or getting the right sponsor or going to a meeting every day. Um, I hear people like, you know, say I did a 30 and 30 and people are clapping. Um, nowhere does it say do a 30 and 30 and how it works. Like I do still, I almost go to a meeting every day, but like that's not a commitment. How it works is I work the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous every single day, and it starts with step one. I admit I'm powerless over food. When I put certain foods inside my body, I can't stop eating them. I have a physical allergy to food. You know, if I put a food inside my body, my physical allergic reaction is I want more. I can't stop eating it. You know, I'm an alcoholic, so I get it. You put it in my body, and it's going to shoot me out when it wants to stop. Like, I don't have control when I put certain foods over inside my body. That's my physical allergy. But it says in the literature, like, abstinence isn't enough, because when I put down the food, I see what's really wrong with me. Dash, my life is unmanageable. My life is unmanageable not because the food is running my life. My life is unmanageable because I have a mind that tells me that the food is the solution to my life, and I listen to it. And that's insanity. Because the thing that is actually killing me, my mind tells me it's going to save me. My mind tells me this time is going to be different. You know, the, my boss wronged me, this time the food will be the answer. Or fill in the blank, this time maybe the food will be my solution. And uh, I got to watch my thoughts. What is my mind telling me when I come into Overeaters Anonymous? I'm a fat piece of shit. I am worthless. I couldn't even get through a yoga class without looking in the mirror and just murdering myself. My mind talks to me all day long, and it controls me. I have a narrator in my mind, and it tells me lies, and I listen to it. 
And it's not just about the food, because if my mind's lying to me about the food, it's probably running every single area of my life, and I don't even know it. I'm probably insane. I'm probably just like that person downtown talking to himself. It's just, I'm doing it inside. And I wear a scarf, so I look normal. I'm insane because I have a mind that talks to me and it tells me lies and I listen to it. Today, with five years of abstinence, I have a mind that tells me lies and if I don't treat it, I'm in my disease, you know. So I have to see that I'm insane, which is the basis of step two, you know. How, why am I going to seek anything other than me if I don't really see that I'm insane? I'm insane. I'm mentally ill. I'm, I'm mentally ill, and it says it all over the literature, but, like, we want to come into the rooms and just talk about the food, but the food is just a substance, and the food is just a symptom. You know, I really have to get down to the causes and conditions, which is lack of power is my dilemma. I don't have the power to think like a normal person, so I have to find a new power, and uh, I start talking to something that's not me in my mind, and I start saying, can you protect me from my mind? Because my mind's lying to me. Did you hear that thought? That's a lie. Can you help me? Can you protect me? And I start doing it a lot. And I put reminders in my phone. And I switch my watch. And I write to-do notes to remind me to go to this power. And uh, the more that I go to this power, the better my life gets. And my mind stops telling me to go to the food. And that's how it works. I find a power that's greater than myself that can solve all of my problems today. And it's not just a Bush League pinch hitter like it says in step seven. I don't just go to this power once in the morning and once at night. I talk to this power all day long, all day long. You know, I, I heard this stat. I don't know if it's true. It may just be a stat that I pass on. Um, but at 40,000 40, thoughts a day, neuroscientists say. And as addicts, we have four thoughts that we think about 40,000 times. <laughs> I'm not good enough. Food's going to fix it. Fill in the blank's going to fix it. The job will fix it. The car will fix it. Um, whatever it is, I think about it all day long. And uh, if I have 40,000 lies that I'm telling myself a day, like I have to flush them down the toilet. And I do that through prayer. And I do it all day long. I live in a life of prayer to, today. And for me, step three, like, will of God, like, what feels good? I didn't know what if, I couldn't trust my feelings when I came into OA. I couldn't trust my heart because I was just stuffing it with food. Like, I, getting abstinent is just the beginning. Getting abstinent allows me to develop a relationship with a higher power where when I connect to this power, limitless possibilities, like endless, amazing, magical lives happen to people who are connected to a higher power. Um, and that's what step three is for me. I go to any lens to make sure that what's taking me away from a higher power is not in my life. I don't have alcoholics in my life anymore. There's not one active alcoholic in my life today. Um... I don't have Facebook. I don't eat flour and sugar. Like, I really got to get clear on what's taking me away from a higher power. And uh, that's what step three is for me. Like, I, every single day I make a decision 
to do what feels good. Not what feels good temporarily when I stuff it down my throat. Like, what feels good in my heart. And uh, how much time do I have? In five minutes, you know, I didn't talk to my dad for ten years uh, before I came into OA. And the first time I went through the steps, my sponsor said, your father is a child abuser. You never have to look at him. Um, but I was still angry, and if you cut me off in traffic, um, I had a hysterical reaction, and I wanted to take a baseball bat to your windshield. And uh, I learned that if it's, if it's hysterical, it's historical, and if I'm angry all the time, there's probably some kind of poison that I'm drinking that I don't even know that I'm putting in. And uh, I learned that it was my dad. Like, I would think about my dad, and I had all this resentment towards my dad, and I started bringing that power into my relationship that I didn't even have yet with my dad. And I would pray for my dad every day, pray for my dad all day long. And uh, one day I found myself flying back to New York and uh, making amends to him and saying, you know, what I learned in step four is this is not about what you did to me. It's about what's my pattern and I don't want to do it anymore. My pattern is if you hurt me, I shut down and I cut you out of my life. And I've been doing that ever since I was seven. And I don't want to do that anymore. And uh, we started having a relationship. And like two or three years ago, I flew back to New York and spent a weekend with him. And uh, on the second to last day, we went to an OA meeting. And he raised his hand at the end and he said, my name's Lou and I'm a compulsive overeater and I've been in denial my whole life. And uh, people started hugging him after, and uh, he took me to the airport, and he said, thank you. You know, I think I'm going to start going to those meetings. And uh, I was back in New York in December, and I got lunch with my dad. And uh, he said to me, all I want is to hold a grandkid one day, and I know your sister is never going to let me. And uh, I have hope that you will. And that's what this program has given me. Like, I don't walk around with the burden of anger or resentment anymore. Um, and to talk about what it's like today, like the food obsession and the body obsession getting lifted, like, that's real. Like, that happens. If you're new and you're like, that's not going to happen to me, like, it happens. It's how it works. Like, if you work the steps, if you do the deal, like, it, ha- it, it will happen for you. And uh, the total inability to form true partnerships. Like, I have amazing friendships. Um, I have an amazing sponsor who's sitting over there who um, I'm not like, this isn't working and and, and things in an email. Um, I have amazing sponsees who I love and, like, actually care about. And uh, I have amazing... I have an amazing relationship, uh, which I never thought was possible for me. Like, that was also like the food. Like, I didn't think that that could be for me to really be in a true partnership, um, not like a needy codependent ordeal, um, but like an interdependent trust, love. Um, I make mistakes every day. I'm moody. I'm sometimes horrible to be with, but like... I seek spiritual progress every single day, and uh, as a result, 
of how it works, I have a way to love unbelievably today. And I have been hurt so much. And uh, to have access to a power that opens up my heart every day that allows me to give to others is an incredible gift. So thank you for letting me share.